This is OTR-FM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello and welcome. Joining me today to share the stories behind the 10 books that inspired her the most on her life journey is a broadcaster, speaker and author who's been a committed agent of transformation for thousands of people over the past 35 years. Joanne Reed Rodriguez was born and raised in Glasgow, Scotland, where she grew up with a passion for teaching. Having been obese and often unwell with a binge eating disorder when she was young, she not only transformed her life and founded a highly successful Slimming Together program, but also became a writer for the Sunday Post, Scotland's best-selling Sunday newspaper. A spiritual awakening in her 30s led Joanne to Los Angeles, where she taught her program at Agape International Spiritual Centre, led by Michael Bernard Beckwith. She studied nutrition and advanced stress management, gained professional qualifications in science-based nutrition and cognitive behavioural therapy, and she now specialises in trauma, stress and eating disorders. We'll hear a little bit more about Joanne's spiritual journey and her programmes that help people take their spiritual development to the next level a little later in the show. For now, let's meet Joanne Reed Rodriguez. Joanne, welcome. Hello. <laughs> so nice to be here. <laughs> it's so lovely to hear your accent. It is such a beautiful accent. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I bet you hear that all the time, don't you? <laughs> well, when I was living out in Los Angeles, it wasn't the first time somebody said, honey, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is very a very musical accent, I think. Oh. Well, I'm quite a musical person, uh, Sandy. I love to sing and I, and I do love music. I'm, I'm really quite a musical person. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that you hear that in my speaking voice. Mm, definitely, definitely. Okay, so, I mean, you've said that you've read countless books over the years. Most are enjoyable, but only a few touched your soul. Yes. And of that few, we have 10 with us today. Yes that uh, you'll be sharing. So was it just 10 that touched your soul? Were there a few more that you had to kind of put to one side? There probably were, but written by some of the authors in my list. Mm, so I, I see. To, mm. You know, I tend to sort of um, find a voice uh, that I resonate with and, and sort of trust that voice. Um, so, yeah, I mean... You know, I, I definitely, I, I would say, yes, there were other books, but by the same authors as the ones I've chosen. Hmm. So um, your list is pretty uh, in chronological order. So we'll get to hear about your life journey as we go through the list as well, which is um, always good. Sometimes they're not in chronological order. It doesn't sure. really matter. We still get to hear about people's life journeys, which are always fascinating. So your first book is, uh, this is the first time it's appeared on anybody's list in two years. Um, it is a classic, I think, um, and deserves to, a comeback. It is Love is Letting Go of Fear by Gerald Jampolsky, which was published in 1979. When did you first read that book? I can tell you exactly it was 30 years ago uh, because I was 29 and I'm 59 now. <laughs> so it was 30 years ago um, I first read it. And of course, coming up toward the end of my 20s, well, my 20s, I... I it, my 20s were turbulent 
you know, a, a lot of just growing up, Sandy, and uh, sort of, it took me a little while to sort of find my my path in life. Um, and I think a few uh, sort of turbulent dramas and quite frankly, uh, of most of my own making, not realizing uh, that I had the power to choose my state of mind. Um, it, it just seemed to me that turbulence was the natural state. And of course, in my teens and early 20s, yes, I'd had binge eating disorder. And of course, um, all eating disorder, you know, we talk about eating disorders, but they are predominantly psychological. And this inner battle with um, not understanding one's worth or one's value. And I was a very, very lucky girl growing up because I had wonderful parents. I had a very stable upbringing, parents who loved one another, as well as myself and my sister. So I had, had a lot of stability and I was a wanted child. Um, and I had a good education. I mean, I had a lot that was working uh, for me, but it was my relationship with myself. And then of course, uh, the path to find my value, my worth. And that is what triggered the binge eating disorder and all of this. So that kind of carried through into my 20s. And um, well, uh, by the time I was 29, I was finding the turbulence quite exhausting. And um, it was uh, it, uh, chap who's actually gone on to become quite a good friend, uh, he said at the time, uh, oh, there's a wonderful book called uh, A Course in Miracles, and uh, I think you should read it. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll purchase that. And um, he said, well, yeah, but it, it's, it, uh, it is a bit deep. So there's another smaller publication that kind of goes with it, um, but it's an easier introduction and that, of course, was love is letting go of fear. And, and I'm so glad because at 29, I wasn't ready for A Course in Miracles. I read it much later mm. uh, in life. But um, I just love Jampolsky. Again, it was that immediate trust. I just trusted the voice of the author. And he broke things down into simple, easy to digest, bite-sized chunks. Um, and, you know... Sandy at 29, it was the first time that the concept of um, I could choose peace. I could choose peace. I could create peace, really. <laughs> I had never realized that until that book. And so it was kind of wonderful. It opened a door for me. So would you say that it was uh, a revelation to you? You know, or was it a com just a comforting holding, giving you the confidence to do something? Well, it was definitely the introduction of uh, a new way of thinking to me and, uh, you know, choosing peace. And, and I think one of the biggest takeaways from that book, and I've never forgotten it, and even sometimes now if I'm a little out of balance, I still go back to that one teaching that if you are not experiencing peace in the moment, you have somehow chosen the wrong thought. What are you dwelling on that's creating within you uh, a turbulent force or a negative force? Because obviously, as you think, so you are. That right there is the crux of cognitive behavioral therapy. And it really sort of you, it's much easier to become aware of how you feel than all these thoughts that, of course, are being processed. But if you are feeling a little icky or out of balance, I can always just sort of remember that and, and sort of, and obviously with practice over the years, that comes more quickly, you know, that I'm just able to look at, look, what am I thinking about? What am I irritated by or whatever and I don't have to be uh and it's 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 wonderful to know how you can just pivot yeah 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 and it is it talks a lot about forgiveness 
And, you know, he has that other wonderful uh, small publication. This is what I love about him. He keeps everything small and simple. He doesn't sort of like go on for forever, but he keeps everything small, simple and very succinct. Um, and I love that quote. Um, uh, Forgiveness and healing is giving up all hope of having had a better past. That's a good one. Isn't that it? is a good one. Isn't it? Yeah. What is yeah. is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very simple, very yeah. direct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's one of those I was about to say, and, and you've just, you know, introduced it, that there are those moments when you read a book and something is expressed so exquisitely yes. that everything stops yes. while you process it and then everything's changed after you've processed oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And, I, and I've had those moments also. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So book number two, you read when you were 32. Uh, mm -hmm. Your mum had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's at a very early age. And it was pretty devastating. How did Way of the Peaceful Warrior, a book that changes lives by Dan Millman, published in 1980. How did that book come into your hands? Well, um, I can remember at the time I was a member of a book club, but it wasn't particularly a spiritual book club. Uh, and I got the catalogue and I was browsing through for more books. And I remember distinctly seeing the little feature, the write-up, and it was something about the book cover. It, there was a moment where it was like this, I remember a feeling and, and I sort of read it through and kind of noted the feeling, but didn't order the book. Um, and it was sometime later, as I say, my mother, um, when she was only 53 years old, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And at that time, Sandy, Alzheimer's was not the household name it is today. Actually, at that particular time, there were a lot of GPs who didn't know what Alzheimer's was. This was just a very new uh, word that was creeping into the vocabulary. And um, somebody, a friend uh, who'd been sort of traumatized by the death of her sister, also very young, um, gave me a, a book and it was a book that was a channeled work written by somebody quite local to where I was living. And I read that and really liked it and went to our local, uh, shall we say, metaphysical bookstore. And I wanted to buy another copy of this to give to someone else. And when I was buying this other book, um, the chap who owned the bookstore said, oh, Joanne, if you like that book, I really think you would like this book. And he held it up and I, there it was again. And it was that book cover and I got that feeling. And I said, oh, Steve, okay, I'll take it now. Oh no, he said, I, I wasn't trying to sell you. I said, no, honestly, I've seen this book before. Um, no, I'll take that book. And anyway, my husband was driving. I started reading the book in the car. By the time I got home, I was hooked and I finished that book within 24 hours. And Sandy, when I finished Way of the Peaceful Warrior, I said to my husband, Zach, I'm going to San Francisco. <laughs> Would you like to come? What, what do you mean? I said, well, this book is amazing. And I want to meet this man. And I there's a courage training. And I want to do the courage training. And I and I and my husband said, okay well sure I'll come to San Francisco with you I'm not going to do the training but you know I'll find a nice I'll find a nice spa hotel nearby <laughs> but yeah way of the peaceful warrior and actually when I think about it now Sandy on the first page halfway through the first page Dan had me hooked I had California I had uh uh, university I had Berkeley I had it all within the first the first three paragraphs and I was I was in and he has become quite pivotal in your life there's no question about it because I did go out uh, to uh, well actually it was a Sonoma north of San Francisco and I did uh, the courage training I think that was 1996 and um 
gosh, I was so looking forward to it. And it was truly, a, actually, even looking back over my life now, that still stands out as one of the beautiful highlights. But the one thing that I wasn't sort of expecting at all, that I didn't give it any thought uh, before going out there to the training, was just how many fabulous people would also be attending. And I met so many amazing people that are actually still in touch with me today. Um, but the courage training was, was just, it was absolutely wonderful. And I love Dan. I mean, from the moment um, I saw him uh, coming into the room, I just knew, yeah, you're somebody that I trust. And actually, even in my, my early to mid-30s, I was quite um, a feisty, independent uh soul and uh, I didn't get my trust too easily you know but Im immediately immediately uh, I, I trusted him and his teachings and yeah he did he became a great mentor and then the following year I went back out and did his metamorphosis training in fact if I'm not mistaken I believe I actually attended his final metamorphosis training in 1997 and again met a lot of people. I met a guy there who um, was an attorney at law and he said to me, you know, I really feel a strong connection with you and I would like uh, to introduce you to my wife and, um, you know, if ever I can be of any assistance. Well, it's kind of funny later when I went out to California, uh, my husband and I actually, for quite a period of time, house shared with that particular chap and his wife. And uh, she talked, she uh, was the first one to take me out on the freeways driving. And uh, so it's just, it was just, you know, in life, Sandy, some things are just meant. Yeah. 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 And, and, that, and way of the peaceful warrior, there is no question. Uh, that was really part of my path. And I think it was kind of, I think it was written <laughs> before it actually, you know, some things are just yeah. meant to be. It's, um, it's part of many people's lives. Um, yes. Certainly it was uh, one of those standout books for me. Yeah. Um, I made it one of my book work. Well, in fact, I made it Dan's entire body of work my yeah. bookworm because I couldn't really choose between them but yeah. that particular book um yeah it was a standout and still today I recommend it oh, but yeah. um this is how much uh Joanne likes Dan's books now, book number three is another one of Dan's books it's no ordinary moments a peaceful warrior's guide to daily life what mm -hmm. is it about that book that you like well, I remember the excitement uh, I felt when uh, a great package, and because I was just, I'd read Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and then of course, Sacred Journey of the Peaceful Warrior. And what I was finding, in the, and I read these books, including No Ordinary Moments, uh, all before I went out and actually met Dan. But what I was actually finding, um, Sandy, was that as I was going out on my power walks and uh, just spending time in nature, my mind was constantly going back to these books and to these teachings and how it was beginning to uh, take me out of uh, what I would have called until that point, really until I read the Jampolsky book, um, I was coming out of automatic pilot living and I was actually starting to nurture what I would call the inner life and really shift my thinking. And also, as a result of that, my priorities uh, were sort of beginning to shift uh, as well. And um, so after the sacred journey of the Peaceful Warrior, um, I went on to Peaceful Warrior Services. Of course, no websites back then. This was all done by mail order or phone or whatever. And things seemed to take a bit longer. And I remember ordering cassette tapes and books and whatever it was. And coming back that particular day, and it was a big box. And it was like, it was like, it was like a five-year-old at Christmas. Mm -hmm. But um, No Ordinary Moments, I really love because all of a sudden this was now... Um, how I could be a peaceful warrior, how I could um, shift my thinking and behavior and adapt 
uh, my lifestyle. And um, yes, I just loved the way that it was written. And the, and the other interesting thing about that book, I can distinctly remember at the beginning of it, um, there was a generous paragraph introducing the editor, uh, a woman by the name of Nancy Grimley Carlton. And, and that was a really funny thing because I, I, I remember thinking, oh gosh, this lady sounds lovely, feels lovely. There's, I just love the energy of everything here. Um, that particular book, the one big takeaway for me at that time, I was moving toward vegetarianism. Um, but what I loved about Dan's teaching in that book, uh, he was guiding the reader. Um, if you are interested in vegetarianism, you can just simply eat less meat, eat less chicken, eat less fish. And suddenly it was just like, ah, oh, so gentle. I can just do, I don't, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I can just um, transition. Um, and and I was very lucky because my lovely husband, Zach, he, um, he was the first one who said, no, no meat. No, I, I don't want, this is not um, necessary and I don't want it. So together we gave up um, all red meat and uh, including processed meat and that kind of thing. And then we gave up chicken uh, and then um, seafood, shellfish and all of that. Uh, and the, But it was just, there was something very gentle, uh, but I just absolutely loved how, um, you know, it was suddenly my guide to becoming a peaceful warrior. Because the interesting thing is, Sandy, even as a young child growing up in Glasgow, believe me when I'm telling you when I was five years old, seven years old, I knew that God existed. I knew that I was part of something greater, but I couldn't, nothing that I had uh, experienced by way of going into a church or whatever, the energy just did not resonate with me. But when I, um, met Dan Millman through his books, uh, I just knew this is like a hand in a glove, this fits. And if I may just say, much later on, Dan um, encouraged me to write my own books. And he said, I'm going to introduce you to Nancy Grimley Carlton. And, um, and so isn't it funny that I actually, in, in ordinary moments, it wasn't just Dan, but I connected also with Nancy. And then wonderful, wonderful Nancy, um, with the passing of time, uh, became my editor also. So yeah. it's kind of funny, isn't it, that energy? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know that there's this, you know, line of connection that just goes yeah. on and on and on. And we don't always see it, you know, but every now and then it will bubble up and show us mm -hmm. something really meaningful mm -hmm. um, and such a generous thing for Dan to do. Oh, um, yeah. But he is a very generous he man. Is. I mean, very I've good. had the opportunity to interview him a number of times and uh, I'm always looking for authenticity. And yes. you know, yeah, he's got it. Oh, he has. No question. He absolutely no question. has. And and I recognised this when I first went to um, Westerbeek Ranch in Sonoma to do the courage training. I just I sat back and I observed how he interacted with the people that were there. He was there for the people. There is no and whatever Dan gave, he gave extra. Mm. He didn't just give you the cake. He gave you the cream. Yeah. On top of it, he he always pushed the extra mile to make sure the student got it. You know, it's an interesting point that you're highlighting here is that, you know, a lot of us, I mean, we learn so much from books and yes. we rarely get to meet the authors. Mm. Um, so we have to, you know, follow uh, our own um, inner guidance as to yes. who this person is and how much of what they're teaching am I willing to accept as truth. Yes. Um, and it's really important that we do have people who we can trust, um, yes. because if we're going to listen to those teachings and follow those teachings, we have to be absolutely certain about the 
person who's doing the teaching, they've got to embody it as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think that that was the thing I, I noticed with Dan uh, straight away. And what I loved, if, if you sort of think, um, Sandy, we'd come out of the 80s and the 80s where, I mean, I was in my 20s in the 80s. And of course, the 80s were all about dynasty and the big shoulder pads. Well, I've got a sort of big shoulders myself today but you know what I mean it was all about power dressing and wealth and all of this and um then of course well mid the 90s were a bit like that as well and then um Dan was just like so simple so there was nothing ostentatious he was so simple and I just I loved it you know I loved it and I loved his commitment to his family um and that was also uh, very authentic. And uh, yeah, it, there's no question. It was it was a path for me that um, was was definitely right for me and still is. Mm, good. Well, before this turns into a Dan Millman love fest, <laughs> we need to move on. Um, book number four is Living Buddha, Living Christ by Thich Nhat Hanh, published in 1997. So quite a different book than the mm -hmm. ones that we've been talking about. So tell us how this came into your life and the impact it made. Well, again, you know, I, I could have selected a number of books by Thich Nhat Hanh and um, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Uh, I just felt that, again, he writes with childlike simplicity and makes complicated things very easy mm -hmm. to digest. Mm -hmm. I also think, Sandy, that something I recognise is that when you really are in the presence of greatness and truth, there is very little or even no ego. There's very, very, very little ego. And um, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, I think, really fits that uh, description. Now, the reason this book was very um, important to me was obviously growing up uh, in Glasgow. Um, I was born in the early 60s, grew up 60s, 70s. Um, and uh, sectarianism was rife. It, it still is a, a, an issue in many parts of the world today. And um, my parents were very wise and they protected my sister uh, and me from religion. We were not a religious family. And I didn't realize why uh, until I grew up. And what had transpired was that when my parents married in the 1950s, um, my father was from a Protestant family, my mother was from a Catholic family, and um, never the twain shall meet and marry. But oh my goodness, uh, apparently, you know, this caused quite a, uh, well, quite a kerfuffle. And um, anyway, but they did love one another very much and they were very devoted partners, my parents. And uh, but the arguments were not, even though they were very young themselves, the arguments were not something they were willing to have anything to do with. And um, so they just made uh, a decision. We'll have nothing to do with religion here. Uh, but if we're blessed with children, we shall just raise them in an environment that's respectful and loving and teach them good manners and good values. And, you know, it was a tremendous gift because I was allowed to find my own path. And as I was saying to you, even as a little child, I was aware that I was part of something bigger. And I always had this, even as a child, Sandy at Christmas, it was about much more for me than just presents. Although that was lovely too, but words like Bethlehem and baby Jesus. I, I used to, as a little child, find myself being very excited just by the thought. And I, I knew there was something much greater. And um, yes, well, with my Slimming Together program that I've been happily teaching for over 30 years, um, back in the 1990s, I had been um, a long-standing resident in a sort of church hall that was owned by uh, a Christian church. And, um, well, I liked everyone there and everyone there liked me. And I just came and went and did my classes and uh, was a very good tenant and friend to all. And then one day uh, I was teaching a workshop and in the sort of the, the promotional poster for it, 
I mentioned the word karma. Well, I cannot tell you what uh, a reaction I got from this. And I got a call to say, you're going against the teachings of Christ. And I was incredibly confused. And I said, no, 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 no. I really don't think I am. Yes, yes, yes. And this big religious argument broke out. And I said, no, I have to. I, I'm sorry, but I, I really have to leave. I, this is not a comfortable situation for me. But reading um, this particular book by Thich Nhat Hanh, it gave me, as a young woman in my 30s, the validation that I kind of needed after that experience because I was actually quite hurt by it at the time. But it gave me the validation and the one thing I always remembered was Thich Nhat Hanh saying, the great masters recognize one another. They drink from the same cup. It's the students across the world who argue and fight in their name, but the great masters recognize one another. And truthfully, if you are a very good Christian, then you are by default a very good Buddhist. Yeah. and a very good Hindu, and a very yeah. good... So for me, it, I did never like that sectarianism. Um, mm. To be perfectly honest with you, even today, um, as we all know, wars have been fought uh, in the name of God. Um, as Yogananda says, Jesus Christ was crucified once, but his teachings have been crucified every day ever since. And, yeah. you know... I just really believe in unity consciousness and uh, I don't like sectarianism. Um, I think it's really just an excuse to fight, actually, yeah. an excuse yeah. to argue. And uh, so that particular book was really quite beautiful. And of course, I, well, I read many of Thich Nhat Hanh's books and uh, just a beautiful um, writer, teacher, again, very simple. Doesn't beautiful soul doesn't overstretch a point, you know, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So number five, another beautiful soul, Answers by Mother Mira. Yes. She did a part one in 1991 and a part two in 1997. Yes. And uh, I think you went to receive darshan from Mother Mira in Germany in your 30s. I, I did uh, with my husband and my sister, mm -hmm. and I was trying to remember when did we go. Um, I'm pretty sure I had read answers before I went, so it's probably around. Oh no! Now a memory just comes to mind. I remember when I went to Dan Millman's Metamorphosis training. That was 1997. And shortly after that, I was able to give some photographs of Mother Mira to my fellow peaceful warriors who had done that training. So again, it must have been around 1997. Mm -hmm. um, and we went to Germany uh, with a group. Uh, I met a chap called Simon Truselli and a very charismatic chap. And he was taking a group from um, Jersey, where I now live in the Channel Islands um, in the UK. Um, and he was taking a group um, on coach uh, to Germany. Uh, and he had been to Mother Mira to receive Darshan a number of times. And um, we went, honestly, Sandy, not knowing what to expect. And um, it, was, it was truly uh, a wonderful experience. And the interesting thing is um, we, my sister, my husband and I, we decided that after the darshan, because everything is done in silence, and we decided that we would then go back to the hotel and share our experiences of it. But the interesting thing is after the darshan, um, we were all dumbstruck and we couldn't say a word. <laughs> Nobody can speak. Yeah. So you returned and you went back a few times, didn't you? Yes, yes. I, I went back again and on each occasion we were able to receive two darshans. So I received four uh, in all. But the first time we went, you know, there's reserve seating at the front and uh, nobody sits there. Um, but it was a very interesting thing. Mother Mira has a lady um, that's been her companion and her right hand uh, 
since the very beginning. And uh, that lady is Adalakshmi. And Adalakshmi is very much in charge. And almost, you know, she's almost like a mother superior. Um, and you, there's no nonsense when Adalakshmi is present. You know, you're, you're sort of standing to attention. And as we were going in, she looked at me and she looked at my sister. And uh, then, um, and this is something that my sister also remembers, Adalakshmi looked at my husband, Zach, who I think is a pretty special soul. And she looked at my husband, Zach, and this broad smile broke out on her face. And she then looked at my, at my sister and myself, and she just pointed, one, two, three, you come with me. And she put us in the front row. And there we were. And Mother Mira came in. And it's very difficult to find the words. She's just like a heavenly queen. Beautiful is too small a word, but it's not an earthly beauty. That it, there was just something magnificent in a very quiet way. Um, but I do feel that it changed me uh, in many ways. And I'm still very devoted uh, to Mother Mira now and um, would love to have another darshan. Uh, at some time. I felt almost, Sandy, it would be a little greedy to go back for more and more, you know, when there are so many other souls who need. Um, but after 20 years, if I'm able to return, I certainly would love to. But I like wonderful, wonderful. I like the way you ended your description about this. You said you love Mother Mira's guidance to go directly to God. She tells us all religions are rivers that lead to the ocean. Go yes. directly to the ocean. Go directly. And again, as I was saying um, earlier, when you when you touch truth, there is no ego. No. And um, I, that is another thing that the question was put to her. Who am I? And she says, lose the I and you will know. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, when you read her answers, there's no drama. There's no... Um, and, and also, somebody had said, uh, I, I see you in visions, I see you somehow appearing. And, and she said, um, you might want to get that checked out. Some people have hallucinations. <laughs> Go there. You know? And I, I just love, she's so grounded and, and loving. There is no judgment, there is just love. I love it. Mm. Okay, so book number six, The Second Coming of Christ, yes. The Resurrection of the Christ Within You. Uh, by Paramahansa Yogananda. Well, it's a big book. I mean, I think, in fact, it's so big, they had to uh, publish it in two volumes, 1,500 mm. pages. And again, it goes back to the whole sectarianism thing. Um, and all my life, I prayed, actually, Sandy. I would pray and say, you know, I really, really, I don't want religious arguments. I'm, I don't want going through the Christian Bible, cherry-picking this and that, and what I want to understand. I want my understanding to expand. I want, um, you know, any shadow to diminish. I want to suffer less. I want to have more love, more compassion. Um, and I want to understand. And I really, really, really want to understand the teachings of Jesus at a deep level. And that was a prayer, you know, that I used to, put out quite a lot. And one day, well, of course, when I was living in Los Angeles, I spent a lot of time at the Agape International Spiritual Center uh, with Michael Beckwith and all the fabulous people uh, that were there. And I know that you've spent a lot of time at Agape and you probably remember the gorgeous Quiet Mind bookstore. Um, and well, I spent a lot of time and a lot of money in the Quiet Mind bookstore. I just used to love to go in there and uh, treat myself to another great book. And honestly, Sandy, this one day I went in and it was, I actually quite chuckled when I remember as I walked in uh, on a stand, uh, I saw it there, the second coming of Christ, Christ, um, uh, you know, a, a, a a discourse by uh, Yogananda. And as I saw it, I was like, oh. <laughs> it's like I had this mad moment of, oh. it's almost like time froze and I couldn't get to it, you know. 
And uh, then I went and I, and I picked it up and thought, oh my gosh, I, I can't be carrying this around. Um, so Michael's uh, lovely mother, uh, Alice Beckwith, she said, well, you know, I think we better keep it for you here and you can pick it up uh, after the service today. Um, but of course, Yogananda, uh, the wonderful avatar who brought the teachings of yoga from India uh, to the West, uh, and again, when I was in LA, I spent a great deal of time at Lake Shrine mm -hmm. on Sunset Boulevard, just a beautiful, beautiful uh, place for self-realization uh, fellowship teachings. And um, so uh, Yogananda, um, the beautiful avatar, uh, he actually said that Jesus appeared to him and worked with him on this 1500 page uh, volume and I can quite understand how it would be that perhaps some individuals might think to themselves oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah but mm. actually when you start reading it oh it's it's profound it is so deep and again no ego it's just beautiful it's intelligent it's deep and it's, I, I just love it. But it is the kind of uh, book that it takes a long time to read, you know. And uh, But what I loved particularly about that is uh, Yogananda goes into Jesus's lost years because in our Christian Bible, we only know of Jesus up to the age of 12 and then from 30 to 33. And there's a whole 18-year period. Now, obviously, in India, um, there are sacred um, ancient uh, transcripts documenting Jesus's time in India and in Tibet. And Yogananda tells some wonderful stories uh, about Jesus as a boy. And uh, oh, they, they're, just, they're an absolute joy, an absolute joy. And for me, nourishment for the soul. So uh, that book was almost an answered prayer and um, just mm. wonderful. Yeah. Okay, number seven, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl, yes. which turns up again and again and again, and rightly so. Yes, and I, I'm, I'm sort of glad to hear it because it's not the kind of book that one thinks of as a spiritual book. Yeah. It's um, sort of hailed as a very important work of psychology. And in fact, uh, studying PTSD, uh, you know, trauma, the after effects of uh, trauma and, and stress, uh, actually, I can see that Man's Search for Meaning was really the blueprint for a lot of the study uh, and what goes on uh, in stress management and PTSD. Um, and of course, I, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder, but it's not a disorder. It's a perfectly natural thing. If someone has had a tremendous trauma or they've witnessed violence or they've, you know, it, how can we really call it a disorder? Uh, as Viktor Frankl says in this particular book, an abnormal reaction to an abnormal situation is a very normal thing. Yes. And of course, <laughs> isn't it? So we, how do we call it a disorder? Because we call everything yeah. a disorder. That's just the society yeah. we live in. But um, having said this, obviously, um, well, for people that don't know the book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl um, spent over three years in Auschwitz. He was in his 20s. And he was himself a doctor of psychiatry and he survived. He survived almost the unsurvivable, you know, and he came out of that. And the interesting thing is he wanted to write this manuscript anonymously. He didn't want his name to be attached to this manuscript. But then, of course, um, he was persuaded, you know, you really have to identify yourself. Um, otherwise, this manuscript is just going to get lost and it's not yeah. going to have the... So uh, he did and had no way of knowing that it would go on to sell many millions uh, of copies. And there are so many takeaways from that. And what I loved about um, this particular account 
of time in Auschwitz by a survivor was that, well, of course, he did tell some of the stories of horrendous things that happened, but he didn't dwell too much on that. What he was really writing this book for was actually to show that even in the most abhorrent circumstances, um, and, and, and I really related to this as a Glaswegian Sandy, he said, people wouldn't believe this, but actually even in the most abhorrent circumstances, it was possible to have a sense of humor. We did actually find ourselves laughing at things that nobody would ever believe we could laugh at. And Glaswegians have a tremendous sense of humor. Yeah. We, we laugh at ourselves all the time. Um, and we laugh at life and the, the ridiculous uh, predicaments of the human story that this is sort of, you know, the Glaswegian way. Um, and, and of course, as many of your uh, viewers will know uh, Billy Conley or Sir Billy Conley, who's made an absolute legend out of himself, just simply telling the Glasgow story as it is. And that was how it was. He was able to take that onto the world stage. But that's actually how it is for Glaswegians. We have this sense of humour. When life was tough, um, although obviously I'm not comparing anything that people in Glasgow went through to Auschwitz. I mean, how nothing compares to that. But I understood uh, that he said, you, and humour, of course, becomes a coping mechanism. But he also said, and this I think is a very important thing, he said it is possible to live a principled life even in these circumstances. Yeah. And he spoke about the importance of connecting with nature, the people who could, even in this horror and suffering, look at the sunset and see something beautiful and be reminded in the soul that there is something beyond this. Yes. Um, so I, I think there were so many takeaways. And the thing about man's search for meaning um, it's not a big publication. I think it's about 130 pages. So, you know, we can read it in a couple of days. Um, but what I also liked as well is that he doesn't believe in random suffering and that even in uh, the utmost suffering that there is purpose and there is reason. And I, I, I believe this and I I think we have to believe this because otherwise, how could we possibly believe in a God? How could we truly believe that God is love if there was such a thing as random suffering and that there is meaning, um, whether that is through experience to become stronger, to uh, become more compassionate, more understanding. But I absolutely believe that there is uh, there is meaning. And of course, the other thing in that is that it gives us a sense of perspective, the things that we think we're suffering yes. about when you yes. actually look at that, um, you know. So, uh, and to me, although it's, although that particular book isn't always thought of as a spiritual book, but for goodness sake, what wow. is more spiritual than coming through something like that with your soul intact i think that is you know mm. it's an important yeah. book very important we're gonna have to kind of shorten our descriptions now okay. because we we are uh, almost running out of time um we've got three more books we've got oh. uh, book number eight the heart of the soul emotional awareness yeah. by gary zuka yeah well i love this one and of course gary zukov is most famous for the seat of the soul yes. so this came after and it's one of the sort of you know spin-offs from um the seat of the soul but i love this because gary zukov in this book encapsulates uh the spiritual connection uh with all addictions dysfunctions <laughs> disorders all the things that you know, all these labels. 
Um, but I really believe that everything physical has its origin in that which is non-physical. And it comes back, I think, Sandy, to our worth, our value. And when we feel that we haven't uh, that self-worth, the value, uh, that's when all of these sort of other behaviors uh, kick in. Um, but I love that he goes in this book beyond um eating disorders or alcohol or uh, maybe um, promiscuity, etc. But he also talks about uh, perfectionism or workaholism or, you know, the, these kind of, yeah, when we talk of addiction, we think the acceptable of addictions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. And, uh, and I, again, Gary Zukov is a trusted voice and he's a pretty grounded, authentic voice. So um, that is anyone working in my field uh, where they're working um, as, you know, whether that is in therapy, uh, in counselling, uh, anything like that. I think this is a really important book, um, The Heart of the Soul. The Heart of the Soul. So um, book number nine, we're back to Dan Millman because he has just published yes. his memoir, which people yes. have been waiting a long time for. Uh, including me, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. And uh, you've got this on your list pretty darn quickly because it was only released a few weeks ago. I know, I know. And um, I did want to put it on my list because um, I was able to have an advanced copy of it. So I was, I've, although it's only just out, but I actually read it uh, a, a little while back. And I wanted to include this again because of Dan's authenticity. Um, but what I really loved about it was that he was willing to um, just put out there his own uh, journey of when he himself was finding his way and when he was a student. So, I mean, all along, I, I was never filled, Sandy. I don't know about yourself, but I was never filled. I knew from the very beginning that Socrates was really Dan. <laughs> I always knew that. I never sort of thought, I always, well, of course, uh, Dan created Socrates, uh, the great mentor in the original way of the peaceful warrior. So I always knew that. Um, and that Dan, uh, you know, obviously created this uh, alter ego, shall we say, to sort yeah. of. I think the way I like to look at it, because I didn't know. Socrates was Dan when I first read the book back you know soon after it was published but I think um, I like to look at it, it it was the future Dan it was Dan it was what Dan had in him that he wasn't going to find for many years but it was coming up as Socrates to hold up a mirror to him That's and um, yeah describing it actually I like that and yeah. um, that is it and of course um for peaceful warrior fans, uh, I, I hope I'm not giving too much of a spoiler, but Socrates makes a, a, a very uh, delightful uh, return. And in this book, I think it's the only one of Dan's books that Joy, uh, Dan's wife, who features so predominantly in his books, but that Joy actually gives her account as well. And I think it just ties up a lot of um, ends and... Uh, well, of course, I particularly loved um, when he was writing about Michael Bookbinder because that was the courage training, uh, the knife fighting with the rubber knives, yeah. and uh, I was I was just able to really to relive that fabulous experience uh, at Westerbeek, um, and I think it is you know really an important book uh, and one that I I couldn't let slip by from my selection. Yeah, well, I always um, like like it when someone is courageous enough to say, you know, I'm going to let my wife comment here oh, yes. and I'm not going to edit that. I'm just going to let her give her perspective, um, which could well be a different perspective than the one the author's trying to share. Yeah, that's right. And mm -hmm. um, but I think they've worked very closely. Uh, and I it, from what I know, I think Joy has been uh, a sort of. Uh, she she will sort of read and sort of help Dan shape his manuscripts or, you know, and it's really everybody needs that close person 
who will say, no, you didn't say that correctly or, or no, cut, that's a drama, cut that out, you know. And I think, you know, the, she's worked very closely with him. And uh, it was just for the reader who's followed the saga all the way along. It really was just a, a, a delight and dare I even say a joy. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Uh, how can he top that one? So book number 10, um, yeah. Autobiography of a Yogi by oh. Yogananda. Again, another book that probably comes up, you know, no. the most frequently. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an absolute feast um, for the soul. But what I love about this as well is uh, Yogananda's way of writing his own memoir. And uh, it's a feast for language lovers. And it's actually quite funny. It made me laugh uh, on quite a few occasions. Um, but, oh, my goodness, I just loved this book. And, again, you know, when you're reading Yogananda, and I've read quite a few of his books. I mean, there were other ones that I could have selected as well. Um, but when you're reading Yogananda, it's honestly, I think, hard to better that. It's just hard to better it because you are really tapping into the heart and soul and mind of a true master. You really are. And um, of course, uh, Yogananda's own guru, Sri Yukteswar, um, it, I, I just loved it. And, and I love, Sandy, the whole lineage of Krishna, Jesus Christ, Babaji, Lahiri Mahashai, Swami Sri Yukteswar, and Paramahunsa Yogananda. Um, mm. And I love the lineage. And what I love about it so much is that Jesus Christ is a part of that. And again, if I may stress, I am not remotely religious. I have no affiliation with any religion. I just have unity consciousness. And I just know in my heart when something is right. And Yogananda, um, for me, that is just so right. And I particularly love uh, when uh, Sri Yukteswar, there's a chapter called The Resurrection of Sri Yukteswar, where he is describing the astral worlds. Uh, and it's just, it's beautiful. I just love it. Hmm. Well, there's your 10 books. And what's very clear is that the words peace and heart come up again and again in the titles and in what you say about those books and what they've given you. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yes. Mm. And it's just a way for me, it's nourishment. I mean, as a nutritionist, I often say to people, good nutrition isn't just about the healthy food or the vitamin pill you take in from the outside. It's about the good thoughts and we have to feed the mind with those good thoughts. Um, goodness knows there's enough of the other side of life that we actually have to take the time to nourish the mind and the heart. Mm -hmm. And I just look upon that as nourishment for the soul. And my daily reading, um, whether it is Yogananda or going back to one of the Dan Millman books, um, Everyday Enlightenment is another favorite of Dan Millman's. Whether it is a Dan Millman or whether it's Yogananda or Mother Mira uh, or Thich Nhat Hanh, that is just nourishment for the soul. Mm. So what are you reading now? Actually, I'm still uh, reading Yogananda. Um, I'm still reading uh, my way through uh, the second book in the um, the. Uh, second coming of Christ and the one that I've got lined up for after that is Yogananda's uh, breakdown on the Bhagavad Gita um, or the story of Krishna and Arjuna yes. um, but the lovely thing in the second coming of Christ he refers to that quite a lot and he will actually show you the harmony uh, in the teachings which I, I just love because again it is Anything that will wash away sectarianism, I, I'm all for that. <laughs> so um, in the little time we have left, tell us a little bit about uh, the work that you're doing and tell us a little bit about your books. Oh, my own books. Well, um, the two books that I have written and had published, one is called Life Transformation Diet 
uh, it's nutrition and good thoughts for the mind. Um, and of course, you know, I know that word diet is very controversial, but it actually etymologically comes from the ancient Greek dieta, which means way of life or habitual mm -hmm. manner of living. And that is the foundation on which I teach way of life. Um, so um, that was the first one. And then the second, Slim, Happy and Free. Uh, and this is really my own journey and me teaching the reader through my own experiences of working through and healing my own life uh, from binge eating disorder. Although that particular book seems to be very popular with all sorts of people um, who will say to me, you don't have to have a weight issue to enjoy this. So those are my two books. And um, I also, Sandy, uh, teach a course called Authentic Confidence. Um, and uh, I, I was able to uh, register AuthenticConfidence.com. I think it was back in 2008. It was uh, just as I was returning uh, from a long uh, period of time in Los Angeles. And uh, Authentic Confidence, I thought, well, this is a wonderful platform for how my work is now moving in a much more spiritual uh, direction. And uh, so all my writings uh, for Authentic Confidence are currently uh, as modules uh, that are uh, forming a course that I teach, uh, Authentic Confidence. And do you know what my tagline is for that? Your worth is beyond debate. That's it. Your worth is beyond debate. It is all about, you see, when we know our own value, we absolutely know the value of others as well. Yes. And that's, to me, is the heart of everything. Your worth is beyond debate. So we don't do anything to improve ourselves or fix ourselves, but to honor ourselves <laughs> from that knowing that our worth is beyond debate. So that's really my work. Um, and it's really anything I can do to encourage others. That is my raison d'etre, to encourage. That I think is, if all I do and all I achieve in this life is encouraging others, that will make me very happy. So just tell our listeners, our viewers, uh, where they can um, check out your programs, your books and your work. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, my website, so my name is Joanne Reed Rodriguez, but of course, Reed Rodriguez, there are so many opportunities to misspell that. Um, but uh, I have joannerr.com. So that's the simplest, joannerr.com. And of course, authenticconfidence.com. That will all come into uh, my website and my books are available there. Authentic Confidence later this year, I will be teaching as an online course uh, and actually sending the course modules out. Um, and of course, this is the glorious thing that's um, evolved as we are getting very proficient with Zoom and all of these online platforms that we can sort of bring the world in, which is a lovely thing. And it it's makes things much more affordable. You don't have to get on planes or rent hotels in order to get the uh, community Absolutely. and the teachings that you're looking for. Absolutely. And that means that people like myself can also um, make the courses more affordable too. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I think it's really a wonderful thing. Well, Joanne Reed Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining us today and for adding your 10 best spiritual books to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's archive of recommendations. It's been a joy to speak with you. Oh, likewise, Sandy. And thank you for inviting me to be your guest. I've loved it. Good. I'm glad. And for you at home, um, if you are looking for ways to sort the wheat from the chaff, there's so many spiritual books out there. It is really hard to know what's going to work for you and what isn't. But the No BS Spiritual Book Club does exist to help you. We try to sort the wheat from the chaff by talking to people like this week's guest, Joanne, 
um, and getting their recommendations, the books that meant the most to them on their spiritual journey. So if you're looking for recommendations from the authors, teachers, speakers and others who have walked this path before you, check out our free 10 best spiritual books archive at the nobsspiritualbookclub.com where you can also view previous episodes of these face-to-face with live interviews. Um, And you can sign up to save your space at future live stream events as well. So we'll send you reminders of these so you don't have to miss any. And while you're on the website, if you feel you have a book in you, but you don't know how to start getting it out of your head and into your hands, um, click on the work with me tab and find out how my experience helping others birth their books may be what you've been looking for. That brings us to the end of this week's show, which would also be available on all the major podcast platforms and on YouTube. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, and I'll be back next week with another 10 Best Spiritual Books interview. Till then, it's goodbye from me.